The chief exec called his directors into the boardroom. I've decided we need to encourage new talent in our younger generation. And to that end, we as a company are going to launch an annual sponsorship for students from our local business college. The rules of entry are that any student who would like to be considered for sponsorship needs to apply giving details of why they would be a good candidate and what their business idea is. The best will be selected. There was a good number of applications and three students were shortlisted. As a means of the chief executive getting the measure of each of the young people, he told them they would each be given a sum of money. It was up to them to find innovative ways of using it to generate fresh profit. They'd each have 30 days to earn as much as they could. Off they went. And the month went quickly by, and the three students were recalled to the boardroom to explain their activity. The first student reported he'd been able to set up a small business, doubled his money. Second student did the same. And the third student came in. He was a bit hesitant, reluctant to declare his outcome. Eventually, the board of directors demanded what he'd done with the money. And he said, well, you'll expect high standards and... Uh, I've therefore been a bit reluctant to risk losing any, but I've kept it safe and sound. Here it is, I haven't lost a penny. He hoped they'd be pleased with that report, but the chief exec was not in the least impressed. He took the money and he passed it across to the first student as a bonus. He told the third student that he wasn't interested in trainees who were so afraid of taking risks probably quite idle into the bargain. Why had he made no attempt to understand the company's vision and mission? And the young man left empty-handed. You know, that's how it is with God. If you try your best, you'll be given more responsibility. But if you don't make any effort at all, even the little that you have will be taken off you and you'll be thrown out to fend for yourself. Amen. That's one of my favorite songs too. It's, uh, it's funny, isn't it? We, we forget so easily, I think, sometimes who we are. And those fears, they, they creep in, don't they? They we sort of, we think we're not worth anything or we're, we're useless or, or no good or we have no hope or no future. And so it's so good I think just to come together and be reminded, no, we're sons and daughters. We're children of God. And we need to remain in that. We need to make that our identity every day. So thank you. Thank you to the band uh, for leading us in that way. Thank you for Tim um, for the story as well. This is our fourth talk already, believe it or not, in the series, our Stories Old and New. We've got two more weeks um, of this series uh, and then we're going to have a two-week break, one week for the anniversary service. Um, and then the, the following week after that, we're going to have a talk on the, the Reformation led by Richard, which will be very interesting. And then we're going to pick up this series again, which will lead us through into uh, December, when I imagine we'll talk about Christmas. 
as is tradition. Um, I hope you're enjoying it. I hope you're finding it interesting. Uh, Jesus is challenging, right? Constantly challenging. I, you always think you, you've, you've learned everything there is to know about him and then he surprises you with something else, uh, a new depth to his love or a new perspective on the world. And I know personally I've been very challenged by some of these stories that he's been, um, has given to us that we're looking at. Um, <clears throat> as we've mentioned already, it's uh, fourth talk in the series. The, there's new stories that we um, have been giving alongside. What we want to do is at the end of the series, is gather them all together for you into a booklet um, and give them to you to keep or put on a bookshelf or read to your kids at night time, whatever you want to do. Um, but we will be providing all of those stories written by Martin Wilde for you at the end of the series. Uh, and this is, although it's the fourth talk, it's the third story that we've been looking at. And you can find it this morning at the, towards the end of the book of Matthew. Matthew chapter 25. Um, and so if you've got your Bibles with you, and I do encourage you to bring your Bibles along on a Sunday morning, please turn there for us now. We're going to be doing a little bit of reading around this morning. We're not just going to look at the story. We're going to look at a few of the chapters before and try and understand the context um, and what's happening and why Jesus is telling this story. So it's really good if you've got your own Bibles just for you to see how it all fits together. Um, and you can also make sure that I'm not lying to you and it's all there in the Bible. So the story we're looking at this morning in the NIV translation has been given the title, The Parable of the Bags of Gold. Now you might have something different in yours. It might say, The Parable of the Talents, it's sometimes called. Um, but we need to remember, we need to be reminded that these titles, along with the chapters and the verses, were all added at a later date, just to help us in our understanding and our reading. Originally, these books, they were one long manuscript, uh, and they're only divided up now because of those that have translated um, the text for us. And so we need to make sure that when we're reading it, that we're not missing something in the flow of the story, something that's happened previously. And we'll be able to see that this morning as we read. <clears throat> so the story begins in verse 14 of chapter 24. And it begins uh, like this. Again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. Okay, let's pause there. I know we've just started, but already we've got some issues right off the bat. Namely, Jesus begins this story with the word again. So not once upon a time, but again, again, it in fact. And we need to ask again, it what? Because in order for there to be an again, there needed to have been something that happened previously. There's something we've missed. And what we've missed is another story called the parable of the ten virgins. And that takes place from verse 1 of chapter 25. So cast your eyes back up the page. And this one starts with the words, At that time, the kingdom of heaven will be like. And so we know Jesus is talking about the kingdom of heaven again. That's the it of the story. And there's no real surprise there. We, we know from previous weeks in this series that the kingdom of heaven is the thing that Jesus spoke about more than anything else. It's the heart of his message. 
If you don't believe me, have a look in the Gospels. It's the kingdom of heaven in, the Matthew, in Matthew and the kingdom of God in Mark and Luke. But it's the same thing. And we also need to remember from previous weeks that the kingdom of heaven, it's not just um, the afterlife, it's not just where we go when we die, but it's the thing that Jesus came to institute on earth 2,000 years ago. The theologian R.T. France describes it as a state of affairs that is already beginning and demands immediate action. You remember Jesus taught his disciples to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth earth as it is in heaven. So the kingdom of heaven is about learning to live in the will of God here and now this morning. And Jesus gives these stories and he illustrates the secrets of the kingdom of heaven in the stories. When the disciples ask him, Jesus, why do you speak in stories? He replies, because the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven have been given to you but not to them. And he's referring to those whose hearts are closed to him. In other words, you will understand these stories that I'm telling you because you know me. You know what I'm about. You know why I'm here. You know what I've come to do. So these stories will make sense to you. So this is a story, again, about the kingdom. But this particular story is given a time frame. Look again at verse 1. It says, At that time. At what time? Well, it looks like we're still in the middle of a conversation. So we need to go back even further. And this time we need to go back all the way to the beginning of the previous chapter, chapter 24. So flick back a page if you need to. Well, that was a lovely sound of pages rustling as they went backwards. Here we read in verse 1. Jesus left the temple and was walking away when his disciples came up to him and called his attention to its buildings. Don't worry, we haven't gone too far. This is important. So Jesus has been in the temple actually since the beginning of chapter 21. And he's been speaking with religious leaders and he's been speaking with people, ordinary folk that have come there to worship and pray. And things have gotten a little bit heated. Jesus has said some very harsh things, but we're going to come back to those later. So just put a pin in that for now. And he leaves the temple, followed by his disciples, and as they're going, they say to him, hey Jesus, what about that temple though? Hey, it's pretty nice, yeah? Look at it all shiny. Don't worry if you can't see that in your text, it's it's my own paraphrase. And they weren't wrong. The temple was this incredible, beautiful building. It was 500 metres long, 400 metres wide. It took more than 80 years to complete. The whole thing was adorned with these glorious golden plates that when they shone in the sun, you couldn't look at them because it was blinding. And where there were no gold plates, there were these huge slabs of pure white marble. So much so that when you viewed the temple from a distance, it looked like the whole thing was covered in snow. It was stunning. And so Jesus turns around to them and he says, do you see these things? Now, at this point, the most sarcastic disciple wanted to say, yeah, we just pointed them out to you, Jesus. But they'd been with Jesus for a good length of time, and so they knew that perhaps there was a deeper lesson just around the corner, and they kept quiet. And Jesus continues, he says, Truly I tell you, not one stone here will be left on another. Every one will be thrown 
down. Wow, that's, that's awkward. And it turned out to be true. About 40 years later, there was a Jewish uprising against the Roman Empire, and the Romans crushed it, and in the process, they burnt the temple. And as the temple was on fire, the gold melted into the bricks of the temple, and so the emperor ordered that the temple be dismantled brick by brick to retrieve all of the gold, so that not one stone was left on top of another. And so complete was its destruction that actually even today there is dispute over where the location of the temple was. People aren't sure. I think there's four possible sites currently. So what Jesus said came true, and history tells us that. But for the disciples, this was something of a shock. Because the temple wasn't just a a pretty tourist attraction. It was the center of Jewish life. It was hugely important for them. People would swear by the temple. If you spoke against the temple, it was considered blasphemy. They were really, really into this building. Sort of like how some people are into their cars today. You know the sort. (laughs) And Jesus says, well, fairly soon, lads, this is going to be nothing more than a pile of stones. And understandably, this sends the disciples reeling, and they think, well, if the temple's going to be destroyed, then then maybe this is it, guys. Maybe this is the end of all things. How could that be taken away from us? And so a little bit later on, when Jesus is having a rest on the Mount of Olives, the disciples come to him privately, and they say, tell us, when will this happen, and what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? And this is the start of the conversation that we're joining in chapter 25. And it brings me to my first important point about this story. I've got five of these this morning, just so you know when we're getting near the end. Um, And the first one is this. The story that we're looking at today is part of a conversation that Jesus is having with his followers, with his nearest and dearest. And it's a story designed by Jesus for those who know him best. So if you would call yourself a Christian this morning, and I know quite a lot of you would, um, then you need to pay close attention because this story is for you. Um, And if you don't know Jesus this morning, then I would suggest that that you listen anyway, because A, you're here, um, but B, um, it will give you a good idea of what being a Christian is about and what Jesus expects of his followers. So Jesus begins to tell them some of the things that are in their future and some of the things that are in the future and beyond. Um, Critically, though, he doesn't tell them when he will return. He says in, in verse 36 of chapter 24, But about that day or hour no one knows, not even the angels in heaven nor the Son, but only the Father. And so the disciples are left wondering, well, what do we do? You know, have we got, do we twiddle our thumbs? Have we got time for a Sudoku? Is it going to be longer? Should we start a family? Should we get jobs? What? And so the last bit of chapter 24, and then the whole of chapter 25, Jesus makes this conversation about what they should do in order to be prepared for the day when he comes back, whenever that may be. And this is it for Jesus. Chapter 26, the chapter after the one we're looking at today, is the Last Supper. Jesus knows that his time with his disciples is running short, and so he wants to give them some advice on how they should live their lives in his absence. And he says things like, keep watch, be ready. He tells them to remain faithful 
and not to become lazy in doing the work of the kingdom. Two very important points for us this morning. And he tells them three short stories about what it will be like on the day when he returns. The parable of the ten virgins, the parable of the bags of gold, and the parable of the sheep and the goats. And all of them together are designed to give the followers a picture of what being a part of God's kingdom on that day will look like. So my second important point is this. Jesus tells this story so that we, as his followers, are ready for the day that he comes back. Okay, are you still with me? (laughs) We are ready to get back to the story. I'm sorry about the detour, but you see how it's important to understand why Jesus is telling this particular story. Okay, flick back to 25. There it is. I was listening for the rustling. Verse 14, again, it will be like a man going on a journey. So knowing what we know, who do we think the man is in the story? Jesus. Very good. Jesus, because he's the one that's about to leave, right? And that's why he's having this conversation. So the man calls his servants and he entrusts his wealth to them. It says, to one he gave five bags of gold to another two bags, to another one bag, each according to his ability, and then he went on his journey. And so the man's wealth is distributed to his servants. And the story is using material wealth, in this case of bags of gold. So this is a fairly generous man. But of course, the story isn't really about money. At least it's not only about money. Remember, Jesus is talking to his followers about how they should live in his absence. And we're told that each person, each follower of Jesus, is given a certain responsibility in accordance with their own ability. Important point number three. We're not all given the same responsibilities. God knows you, and he treats you as an individual. He knows your talents, your skills, your attributes. He knows your experiences. He knows what you've faced in your life, and he knows what you've survived, and he knows how to use the details of your life for best effect in his kingdom. And so he gives gifts according to what he knows you can handle, but he always gives generously. Mother Teresa once said, I know God won't give me more than I can handle. I just wish he didn't trust me so much. (laughs) And it's true, isn't it? Paul expands this idea in his writing in quite a few places, but particularly in the letters to the Romans, he says this, we have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it's serving, then serve. If it's teaching, then teach. If it's to encourage, then give encouragement. And if it's giving, then give generously. And if it's to lead, do it diligently. If it's to show mercy, do it cheerfully. And so we're all given these different responsibilities and these unique purposes within God's kingdom. And we need to find out what that is for us, individually. Because if we're looking at what God has given others rather than what he's given us, then we're in the wrong place. It'd be sort of like if the, 
If you imagine the guy in the story who had two bags of gold and looked across at the one with five bags and thought to himself, oh man, only two bags. Look at Tony over there with five bags. You know, if I had five, then I could do something really good. Or maybe if you looked over and thought, two bags? Gosh, that's a lot of responsibility. I wish I was like Susan one bag over there. Then I'd be okay. <coughs> but he doesn't. He trusts God that he's got the right gift. And you know, I, I really love that scene at the end of John's Gospel where Peter is walking with Jesus. And as he's walking, he turns around and he looks at John and he says, Lord, what about him? What about him, Lord? And Jesus, I think, almost sarcastically turns around and says, if I want him to remain alive till I return, what is that to you? You, you must follow me. You worry about your responsibility. You worry about the thing that I've given you to do in my kingdom. And I think to some extent, we all kind of look at others and wish that we had their talent or their gift. Personally, I uh, am a little bit, just a little bit, um, envious of, of the musicians that we have here on a Sunday morning, of their talent and skill. When I was 16, uh, me and my then best friend went and both brought um, electro-acoustic guitars from this shop in Birmingham, fairly convinced that we were both going to be rock stars. Um, we were going to learn the guitar. We reckoned that would take two to three weeks, max, <laughs> tops, four at a push. Um, and then we were going to go off and tour the world and break hearts and change lives, and it was going to be fantastic. But it just turned out it wasn't a gift that, that God had given me. And um, I know, it's sad, isn't it? And it, it sits in my office gathering dust. And if I can be vulnerable and honest with you this morning, sometimes when the manor house is empty at the end of the day, I'll pick it up again and I'll just give it a little strum and just check that God hasn't just snuck that <laughs> gift under the door for me. But it hasn't happened yet. I live in hope. But the point is this, if we spend all of our time envying what God has given somebody else, we'll never get anything done for the kingdom. Instead, we need to look at what God has placed in our hands. And it might be five bags, it might be one bag, it actually doesn't matter. What matters is that we use it. And if we're not sure this morning what it is that God has given us, then can I suggest that the place to start is to ask him, God, what responsibility have you given me? What do you want me to do for you? And then try some stuff. Get involved. Come and serve in one of the ministries. Uh, you know, come along on a Monday night and join in with the band if you happen to be musical. You won't see me there. Um, you know, start offering to pray for people on a Sunday morning and see what happens. Maybe God has given you the gift of prophecy. Look for people that you can encourage and encourage them. Maybe that's your gifting. Try leading a small group. Try teaching. Do whatever. Just try and see what it is that God has placed in your hands to do in the kingdom of heaven. Find out what your responsibility is. Back to the story. Verse 16. The man who had received five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work and gained five bags more. So also the one with two bags of gold gained two more. But the man who had received one bag went off dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. 
The man who had received five bags of gold brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, I have gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. The man with two bags of gold also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two bags of gold. See, I've gained two more. His master replied, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Exactly the same response. Then the man who received one bag of gold came. Master, he said, I knew that you were a hard man, harvesting where you've not sown and gathering where you've not scattered seed. So I was afraid and I went out and hid your gold in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. His master replied, you wicked and lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. Well then, you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. So take the bag of gold from him and give it to the one who has 10 bags for whoever has will be given more and they will have an abundance and whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them and throw the worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So now we come to the true focus of the story because the story isn't really about the bags of gold. It's not about what they were given. It's about what they did or didn't do with what they'd been given. And I know we've sort of got into the habit of renaming these stories in the series. The Good Samaritan became Do You Love? The workers in the vineyard became the compassionate employer last week. And this week, instead of the bags of gold, I think we'd be better off with the title, The Servant Who Did Nothing. Because that's what the story is about. It's about someone who received a gift from God and chose to ignore it completely. And the first two servants, they're excited, aren't they, about their new responsibility. They take what they've been given by their master out into the world and they invest it and it grows and it begins to multiply. And and you can tell, verse 16, it talks about how they immediately left. It says at once, as soon as they got the gold, they they were off, out of the door, eager to please their master. And the thing is, with these first two, they understood exactly what their master expected from them. And that's really key for our understanding of this story. They knew what was expected of them. And if we think about this from the perspective of the disciples for a moment, its original audience, at this point they've spent three years by Jesus' side. They've sat with him, they've learned from him, they've gained the secrets of the kingdom of heaven. They know things about God that nobody else does. They've seen the Holy Spirit at work in people's lives and they know what Jesus is like. Day to day, they know what he does. They've seen him healing the sick. They've seen him casting out demons. They've seen him talking about the kingdom of heaven. And they know his heart for his father and for the least and the lost and the lonely. They know their master inside and out. And so a little bit later on, when Jesus has risen from the dead, they say to him, Lord, Are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? So still wanting to know the times and dates. And Jesus says to them, it's not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. 
and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. You can't be a witness to something if you haven't seen it. But they have. They have seen it. And Jesus says, essentially, all this kingdom stuff, all the stuff we've been doing together, it's over to you now. You're going to carry on bringing about God's kingdom here on earth. And I'm going to give you my spirit to help you do that. You're going to bring healing into people's lives. You're going to free them from addiction. You're going to tell them how much I love them. You're going to tell them what it is that I've done for them. You're going to be my witnesses. And he even says on one occasion that whoever believes in me will do the works I've been doing and they will do even greater things than these because I'm going to my Father and I will ask the Father to give you another advocate to help and he will be with you forever, the Spirit of Truth. And this is a call, this is a serious call to an adventurous life. Sometimes I think we forget, we think that the Christian life is about sitting in church on a, on a Sunday morning and singing a few nice songs. It's not. That's not what being a Christian is about. Being a Christian is about making a difference in the world. It's about living for the kingdom of heaven. It's about helping people to recognize God as king and bringing them to Jesus so that he can change their lives for the better. Jesus' last words to the disciples in Matthew were, Go, <laughs> go, go and make disciples of all nations. Not meet together once a week for tea and biscuits. He wants us to see his heart for the world and then join in. And both of the servants in the story, they're commended for being good and faithful because they know the master's heart. They know what he expects and they go and they do it. So important story point number four. God wants us to join in bringing about his kingdom on earth. Not be like the servant who did nothing. Now remember, I told you um, back at the start that things had gotten a little bit heated in the temple before Jesus had left, particularly with the religious leaders. Um, and in fact, Jesus spoke some of his harshest and most condemning words on that occasion. He called those leaders hypocrites who shut the door of the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. He called them sons of hell blind guides, whitewashed tombs, snakes and vipers. He said that they were full of hypocrisy, wickedness, greed and self-indulgence. He told them that they had neglected justice, mercy and faithfulness. Pretty harsh, right? And you see those leaders, they were only in it for themselves. They didn't know the master's heart at all. And just like the servant in the story, they had become wicked and they had become lazy. And it was their actions, or in most cases, their lack of action, that revealed their heart. In fact, Jesus says uh, at the start of chapter 23, uh, the teachers of the law and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. So you must be careful to do everything they tell you, but don't do what they do, for they don't practice what they preach. They tie up heavy, cumbersome loads and put them on other people's shoulders and they themselves are not willing to lift a finger to move them. So just like the servant in the story, they didn't actually do anything to bring about God's kingdom. And also just like their, the servant, their excuses are going to fall on deaf ears. You know, in the story, the master tells the servant, you could have put my money on deposit with the bankers. 
In other words, even if you didn't do anything yourself, you could have joined in with what somebody else was, was doing. You could have contributed in some way. You could have done something. But you see, the lack of action on the part of the servant shows us that he was never really a servant because he didn't know the master's heart. And it's a really important point for us this morning, because we might look at this story and we might say, well, this is saying, this story is saying that if I do lots of good things, then I'll be all right. But if I don't do enough good things, then, then I won't be all right. I'm not going to heaven. But it, it isn't saying that at all. Your salvation isn't based upon the amount of work that you do for God. It's based upon your faith in Jesus. However, that isn't a passive faith. Your faith, our faith, should be a faith that moves us into action. And the story is showing us what faith in action looks like, what real faith looks like. James writes in chapter 2, verse 14 of his book, What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds, can such a faith save them? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and be well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if not accompanied by action, is dead. And you see, there is an unbreakable connection that exists between what we believe and what we do. We're not justified by works. Last week, Steve spoke to us, you know, it's grace, isn't it, that that justifies us. But without works, then we show that our faith is useless, is pointless, has made no difference, as James would say, is dead. So important point number five. The story shows us that the reality of our faith is revealed in our actions. It's revealed in the things that we do. Without a faith that moves us into action, we have no faith at all. And as we can see from the story, that leaves us in a position where we're separated from God. So where does this story lead us? What are we to take away from this this morning? Hopefully to some questions. And I know you're going to look at this more in depth in your life groups in the week. But I want to just leave you with three questions this morning, perhaps for your own personal um, exploration. Firstly, what is our perspective this morning? Are we looking at the things of earth? Are we looking at shiny temples? Or are we thinking about the work of eternity? Are we thinking about the things that Jesus has left for us to do, about bringing about the kingdom of God here on earth? Because, you know, that's the only work that's going to last. Truly, there's a time coming when no other work that we do will matter other than the work that we've done for Jesus. Now, the temple um, that I mentioned at the start, it took 80 years to finish And seven years later, it was destroyed. Pointless. It didn't matter. But the kingdom of heaven will last forever. So what's our perspective this morning? Secondly, what responsibility has God given you? What has he placed in your hands, in your heart? Perhaps you already know, in which case, in the words of Paul, do it. (laughs) Use it. Spread it around. Watch it multiply. But if you don't know, then I want to encourage you to explore some options. Get involved in stuff. You know, it says in the story, you could have at least put the money in the bank. You can contribute to the work of others until you find what your own calling is. 
what responsibility God has given you. And thirdly, what do your actions say about your faith? If the answer is not much, then I think perhaps we need to go back to Jesus and try and understand him better. Because Jesus doesn't call us to a passive faith. He calls us to follow him. That's an active faith, to become his hands and feet in the world. He calls us to an adventurous life, a life of bringing about his kingdom. He doesn't call us to bury our heads in the sand or, as the story has taught us, to bury our gold in the dirt. So let me just finish this morning with a reading from 2 Peter 1, verse 10 to 11, that I think sums up this story for us quite wonderfully. It says this, So dear brothers and sisters, work hard to prove that you are really among those God has called and chosen. Do these things and you will never fall away. And then God will give you a grand entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. Let's pray.